Well, it is good to see you here today. Thank you for being here. We are in part two of our sermon series that you see up on the banners above. Don't you like those up there? Yeah. Like them up there a lot better. That looks like it was made for them. Christ is risen, now what? Is the name of our sermon series. We are in part two, and I'd like for you to go with me. Amazingly enough, I, you'll try to figure out how I'm going to put this message together with that theme and this scripture reference, but I want you to go with me to the book of Job, chapter number one. While you are turning there, let me just say that transformation is made possible only by the cross of Jesus Christ. Aren't you thankful that Jesus died in our place, that he overcame death, hell, and the grave, and because of that, as the prophet Jeremiah said, we have a future and a hope. Thankful for that. Now, in order for the kingdom of God to function effectively in our lives, there are two fundamental principles, I believe, that have to be in place. Um, the first one is God works through human or div and divine com uh, cooperation. In other words, God is working, He's doing the divine part, but God has to have human cooperation in order to get what He wants done. Uh, let me explain it this way. God does only what God can do when humans do what we are responsible to do. Does that make sense? I mentioned in last week's message, I gave you a quote, and I'm going to give it to you again. I said that there are no purely spectators who follow Christ. You cannot, you must not make the decision to follow Jesus with the plan of sitting on the sidelines watching everyone else who is following Jesus do the work of ministry. What I meant by that in, is that you cannot be passive and serve Jesus fully. There has to be human cooperation with the divine plan of God. Now, there are numerous biblical examples that will reinforce that point, and I'm not just going to take the time to share one with you. And this isn't even in the book of Job, so this is free. <clears throat> um, but you remember when the, when the people of Israel fled Egypt under God's promise, they were chased by Pharaoh and his armies, right? Uh, Pharaoh came to the conclusion that even though he allowed them to leave, he's now changed his mind and decided he doesn't want them to go because he was getting too much work out of them. So as Israel goes on this journey, they have Pharaoh's armies behind them and they find themselves trapped with no clear path of escape. I mean, think about it. Here they are. Uh, they, they saw nothing in front of them but desert. Uh, they have a, 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 a dangerous treacherous mountain range on their le on the right of them and they have the red sea on their left and no clear passage out so what happens well if you remember the people of israel they started complaining to moses who god had appointed to be their leader they said moses what'd you bring us out here for did you bring us out here so that we can die in the wilderness and moses said no but i don't think he was convinced because in just a little while he starts complaining to God. I call it whining. He said, and this is my translation, God, did you bring us out here to die just to kill us in the wilderness? 
And God basically says back to Moses, Moses, quit your whining. I already told you what you're supposed to be doing. What's that in your hand? He says, take your staff and hold it out over the sea. So what does Moses do? He does as God tells him to do. He holds his staff out over the sea, and we know the rest of the story. The wind parts the waters, and the people of Israel, two and a half million strong, walk across that sea on dry ground. They get on the other side, and, Moses, and God tells Moses, okay, stretch your rod out over it again, and the seas come together and collapse on Pharaoh and his armies. Do you see the relationship between what God did and what Moses was called to do in order for, for, him, for God to do what he wanted done. Now, really two basic questions. Could Moses have parted those waters by himself? No. Only God can do that. Was God going to do it before Moses extended his staff over the Red Sea? Again, no. God did only what God could do when Moses did what he was responsible to do. So that's the first principle. That's human divine cooperation. And the second principle, and the one that I'm going to talk predominantly about today, the second principle about living free is what I call spiritual transactions that have to take place in your life and mine. Now, when we align ourselves with the truth of God and we declare to that truth, there is a spiritual transaction that can now take place. And unless these two principles, desiring spiritual transactions in our lives and humanly cooperating with God's plan, nothing is ever going to get done without our cooperation. So, to begin, where I want to take this this morning and the title of my message is One World, Two Realms. The world that we live in has two realms. Now, there's the natural realm. We're very familiar with that. It's called our five senses. We, we can navigate that kind of realm. But our world also has an invisible spiritual realm. Now, unfortunately, many in the Western culture today deny that this is a reality. But we need to realize that the world does have two realms and that both of these realms interact with each other and influence one another on a daily basis. This may, again, be a surprising text, but I, again, you're in the book of Job chapter number 1. This is one of the most pronounced biblical accounts that help us to understand this concept of one world, two realms. Now I'm going to read this in a different way, in a different order than perhaps I normally would, so just be patient with me. Look with me first at beginning with verse number 13. One day, when Job's sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and reported while the oxen were plowing and the donkeys grazing nearby, the Sabaeans swooped down and took them away. They struck down the servants with the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. He was still speaking when another messenger came and reported, A lightning storm struck from heaven. It burned up the sheep and the servants and devoured them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. 
That messenger was still speaking when yet another came and reported the Chaldeans formed three bands, made a raid on the camels, and took them away. They struck down the servants with the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. He was still speaking when another messenger came and reported. Your sons and your daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house when suddenly a powerful wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on those young people so that they died. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Now, just briefly, skip with me over to chapter number 2, beginning with verse 7. It says there that Satan left the Lord's presence and infected Job with incurable boils from the sole of his foot to the top of his head. Then Job took a piece of broken pottery to scrape himself while he sat among the ashes. And his wife said to him, do you still retain your integrity? Curse God and die. Now, would you agree with me that Job's having a bad day? <laughs> uh, I don't know that any of us have ever had as bad a day as Job had on that day. But you would probably agree that we've all had some bad days. Uh, all of the material things in Job's life have been taken. One bad thing has happened after another. Not only did he lose his livestock, his source of living, his source of income, he lost his servants, he even lost his children, and ultimately he even loses the support of his wife. His security, his reputation are gone. His life has completely unraveled. Now, here's the explanation of one world and the two realms. If we were to look at Job's situation simply through the lens of our natural eyes, in the physical realm, we would probably give Job advice that pertain to natural things. For example, it would be quite Likely for us to say something like this to Job in light of what we just heard. Job, you need to get a financial advisor. Job, you might even go find a grief counselor. Uh, Job, you might take some antidepressants. Find a marital counselor. And we would try to comfort him with physical remedies like that. And those things aren't bad. But that's where we would stop if we believed only in a natural, physical realm. But here's where we're going to get the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey says. Go back to chapter 1, and let's read prior to where we started earlier in verse 13. Start with me at verse number 6. One day, am I in the right? Yeah, that's right. One day the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and also came with them. The Lord asked Satan, where have you come from? From roaming through the earth, Satan answered him, and walking around on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? No one else on earth is like him, a man of perfect integrity who fears God and turns away from evil. Satan answered the Lord, does Job fear God for nothing? 
Haven't you placed a hedge around him, his household, and everything he owns? You've blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions are spread out in the land. But stretch out your hand and strike everything he owns, and he will surely curse you to your face. Very well, the Lord said to Satan. Everything he owns is now in your power. However, you must not lay a hand on Job himself. So Satan went out from the Lord's presence. Now, that gives clarification what's going on here. There is a spiritual warfare that has been allowed to come to Job's life that has drastically affected the physical realm of Job's life. So now, go back with me to chapter number 2 again, and let's read from verses 1 through 7. One day the sons of God came again to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord asked Satan, where have you come from? From roaming through the earth, Satan answered him, and walking around on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? No one else on earth is like him, a man of perfect integrity who fears God and turns away from evil. He still retains his integrity, even though you incited me against him to destroy him without just cause. Skin for skin, Satan answered the Lord. A man will give up everything he owns in exchange for his life. But stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and bones, and he will surely curse you to your face. Very well, the Lord told Satan, he's in your power, only spare his life. So Satan left the Lord's presence and infected Job with incurable boils from the sole of his foot to the top of his head. Do you see what's going on here? There is a spiritual realm, a war going on out there in the heavenlies between God and between the enemy of our souls, and that war has brought significant destruction to the physical realm of Job's life. Now, I, this may sound kind of corny, but it occurred to me as I was putting this message together, perhaps I can explain it to you this way. About a year ago, Brenda and I bought a new TV. It's a smart TV. It has all kinds of, of, of new features, one of which I just used for the first time a couple of weeks ago. Now, others of you who are much more technologically advanced than I, you probably use this more than I have, and you might even use it all the time, but it's called PIP. You know what that stands for? Picture in picture. Now, I've known about it. I just never took the time to use it. I was able to watch two networks on one screen at the same time. Whoa! It changed my life. I was able to watch the Yankee ball game and the Masters golf tournament all at the same time without changing channels. Now the reason that I share that with you is that that te technology at least helps me to understand the world that we live in. As believers... We need to have a frame of reference that will enable us to look through two lenses simultaneously. A lens that deals with the natural physical realm and a lens that deals with the spiritual heavenly realm. Are you with me? Good. 
You see, what happened to Job, friends, didn't just happen by coincidence. There was something going on in the invisible spiritual realm that affected his visible physical realm. Satan was at work. We read about it in chapters 1 and 2. And that, that what we read tells us that Satan had the ability to affect Job's life. He's able to take Job's possessions. That's what he does, by the way. John chapter 10, verse number 10, says that he steals, he kills, and he destroys. Satan also affected Job's health. Apparently, he even had the ability to affect the weather as well. He also affected how people regarded Job. And we see that with the story of Job's wife. This text teaches us that Satan is roaming around the earth as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He's looking for trouble. So let me talk now about the interrelationship between these two, two realms. Paul describes it for us in the New Testament in the book of Ephesians chapter number 6. Ephesians chapter number 6, where Paul says in verse number 12, For our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the world powers of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. Now, the book of Ephesians especially chapter number 6, unpacks for us several fundamental truths about the life of a believer. If you go clear through chapter 6 or clear through the book of Ephesians, you will find that Paul refers to the heavens, or as some translations say, heavenly places. The translation that I actually prefer, believe it or not, is the New International Version that refers to it as the heavenly realm. It refers to it uh, five times in that book. Now, it gives attention to the invisible spiritual realm, the heavenly realm. Now, we make a distinction between these two realms, but we need to understand that they are not isolated from each other, but instead that they overlap. The physical realm is affected by the spiritual realm. Now, when Paul's talking about the heavens or the heavenly realm, he's not talking about a place. He's talking rather about a realm. And as westernized believers, again, it's not always easy for us to understand and to recognize and identify what is the heavenly realm. What is it? Well, certainly, there are angels and demons. There are spiritual bodies involved. God the Father, who is spirit, and those who worship him in spirit and in truth, we're also a part of the heavenly realm. Curses and blessings and, and prayers all engage the spiritual heavenly realm. Most importantly, though, we need to understand that these things will have an impact on the physical realm. Now, I'm getting to my message. I'm just giving you some background for context. Where's the heavenly realm located? It's everywhere. 
is all around us. When you and I received Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit took residence within us. So where's the heavenly realm? It's in us. It's in us. And it, this might sound a little spooky, but I'm going to say it. If we could see with spiritual eyes this morning, the spiritual things going on in this room right now, it would probably shock us. We'd probably see angels. We'd probably see demons. Now, I'm not trying to, to super spiritualize everything this morning. I'm just telling you that there is a heavenly realm going out on out there that is affecting everything that we see, feel, and hear, and touch, and smell in the physical realm. Now, let me give you an example of this again, just so you'll not think that I'm completely crazy. Back in the book of Daniel, Old Testament, chapter number 10. And I'm not going to read the whole account, but I'm going to read just a portion of it, and I'm going to tell you the rest of the story. You can read it in your own time. Daniel, in chapter 10 of his book, has apparently been reading from the book of Jeremiah and Jeremiah's prediction or prophecy of what's getting ready to happen with the nation of Israel about going into Babylonian captivity. Daniel doesn't understand everything that he's reading. So he turns to the Lord in prayer and he asks God to help him to understand the meaning of what he's reading about Jeremiah's prophecy. And then the scripture tells us that Daniel ends up praying about this very matter for three, three weeks, 21 days. Now after 21 days of praying about it, the scripture tells us that an angel pays Daniel a visit. And like everyone else who experiences an angelic visitation, when Daniel sees the angel, he's extremely frightened by what he sees. In fact, uh, verse, verses 8 and 9 tells us that he falls down as if he were dead. When he does that, the angel picks him up and says, don't be afraid. And I'll pick it up in verse number 10 of Daniel 10. Suddenly a hand touched me and raised me to my hands and knees. He said to me, Daniel, you are a man treasured by God. Understand the words that I'm saying to you. Stand on your feet, for I have now been sent to you. And after he said this to me, Daniel says, I stood trembling. Don't be afraid, Daniel, he said to me, for from the first day that you purposed to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your prayers were heard. I have come because of your prayers. But listen to this. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia opposed me for 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me after I had been left there with the kings of Persia. Now I have come to help you understand what will happen to your people in the last days for the vision refers to those days. Now let me explain that to you. An angel was sent by God immediately on day one to help Daniel's understanding. But it was 21 days before the angel came to Daniel 
and gave him the understanding. What went on during that 21 days? A spiritual battle with the kings of Persia who did not want the angel to get to Daniel. In fact, the angel says, I fought with him for a while and then I had to have the help of Michael to help me overcome the situation so I could at last come to you today and give you the understanding that you have been praying for. A demonic being that had oversight of the kingdom that had to be overcome. Now, where was that battle taking place? I have no idea. But I have a pretty good idea that it occurred in this world somewhere in the spiritual realm. Well, here's all you need to know. We live in a world that appears to be merely physical. But friends, there is another realm, a spiritual realm, that interacts with the physical realm. And the spiritual realm affects your life and mine. It affects our families. It affects our marriages. It affects, us, it affects our churches. It affects our nation. You name it, it affects it. So here are a few questions that we need to ask ourselves when we look at the circumstances of our life. We need to ask ourselves, is this difficult situation that I'm going through now just happening? Is it just a coincidence? Is my bad mood just happening? Is my strained marriage just happening? Is, worship, is my worship affected by the weather or seasons or is it something spiritual? Do things like selfishness and stinginess and lying and deceiving, do they occur for no reason? Is there a persistent lack of joy and zeal in my life and is it because of my personality or is there something else going on? Does bigotry and prejudice and ethnic cleansing, do those kind of things just happen? Does bad health just happen? Do wars just happen? Do famines just happen? Do financial downturns just happen? Does depression that overcomes us just happen? Well, I think that when you ask yourselves those questions and align it with what I've just shared with you, you can come to this conclusion. There is a physical realm that's being effect, affected by a spiritual realm. Now, again, I'm not trying to super spiritualize everything that happens in the world. I'm just saying, friends, that we need to understand that there are two realms in this world, the physical and the spiritual, and the spiritual affects the physical. We're in a war zone. We are in a war zone, so to speak, and we can't escape it. There are many people, though, who aren't doing well in this war because they don't know Jesus yet. They're giving into the values of the world and its system. They're living under Satan's rule. And many of these people, their lives are marked by dysfunction, poor health, bad marriages, addictions and crimes and conflict that's unending. But here's the truth that I want to share with you this morning. 
that applies more to us than that. Some of us Christians aren't doing well in this war zone either. And the reason we aren't is because we don't recognize that there's one world and two realms and that there's more going on in our lives than what we experience in the physical realm. The enemy wants to destroy us. He wants to destroy every one of us. He wants to ruin the plan of God. And that's why he brings brokenness to the world. He wants to steal. He wants to kill. He wants to destroy But God wants to give us life and he wants us to be triumphant in life. He wants us to live vibrant lives. Lives that are filled with hope and with power and we need to understand in order for that to happen how the world operates so that we can live according to God's original design. Now I'm moving on. God has given to us spiritual gifts that will help us to discern and understand what is going on in the spiritual realm, in the heavenly realm. Gifts like discernment, gifts like words of knowledge, words of wisdom, words of prophecy, and so forth. If you go to the book of Hebrews, the writer to Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 5, verse number 14, that uh, our senses... Our senses have been trained to distinguish between good and evil. That's where God wants us to be, to be able to distinguish those things. That's what God's truth will do. And when you experience opposition or trouble, do we sometimes think, God, what's going on here? What's going on? What's going on behind the scenes? You see, we need to recognize that the heavenly realm is invisible, but it's very real, and it influences our lives daily. Now, again, I don't want any misunderstanding. I, I, I don't believe that there's a demon under every rock or in every bush. Okay? I, I, I'm not trying to go there. <laughs> but whether there is or there isn't doesn't bother me. Because my focus is on Jesus. Are are you with me? My focus is on Jesus. So when one of them surfaces, wherever he decides to surface, I will know what to do and how to handle it in a spiritual way. We can't let ourselves be deceived by the enemy of our souls. It would be like a nation that's at war with another nation, but they are totally ignoring things like surveillance and intelligence. How how could a nation like that, that's intentionally being blinded to the movements of their enemy, have a realistic chance of winning the war? None. Satan wants us to live just like that. The idea of angels and demons isn't a primitive idea. It's not a superstitious idea. It's not irrelevant. If you believe that the enemy isn't real, friends, if you minimize the reality of the spiritual realm, you're going to be at a disadvantage. Okay, now I know you're sitting there on the edge of your seat wondering what all of this has to do with the now what. Well, here is where it gets good. 
Our spiritual enemy is out to get you and I. But we have been given the Holy Spirit. (laughs) We have been given the Holy Spirit to be what the Greek word paraclete signifies. I didn't say parakeet. I said paraclete. It means one who comes alongside to fight our battles for us. And it's not necessarily just talking about our physical battles. It's predominantly talking about spiritual battles that we cannot hope to win with physical warfare. You cannot fight spiritual battles with physical weaponry. You have to fight spiritual battles with spiritual weaponry. That's why the Holy Spirit is with us. Now, having said that the enemy is out to get you and me, for those of you who may not fully understand yet what I'm saying, let me be very clear. When we stand before Jesus on Judgment Day, we're not going to be able to blame the devil or his demons for our sin. We're not going to be able to do what Flip Wilson used to say. The devil made me do it. We're going to have to give an account for ourselves. We are responsible for our own choices, for our own actions. But we need to realize that there are demonic influences trying to keep us from living in God's perfect design for our lives. We have to also realize, however, that we have the great privilege of living in both the physical and the spiritual realm with the power of the Holy Spirit enabling us to overcome whatever it is that the enemy throws at us. We live lives of freedom by being filled with the Spirit of God. Now, we need to understand who the Holy Spirit is. We need to understand the Holy Spirit's role in helping us live for Jesus with kingdom goals in mind. We need to understand how we engage with the Holy Spirit in our lives. We cannot live, friends, in total obedience before the Lord without the infilling and the empowering of God's Spirit. Now let me just give you an example from my own life. There have been times, and I'm guessing you've experienced these times too, When you feel spiritually barren, or you're in a dry place, you've not been doing the things that you formerly were doing that brought you spiritual victory in your life, and and you're just feeling kind of overcome and and uh, oppressed. You see, here's the thing. You have the Holy Spirit living in you, but you may not be walking in the fullness of the filling of the Holy Spirit. And and when those times come, we find ourselves having difficulty walking in the Spirit and rather walking in the flesh. Hello? We've all experienced that, haven't we? Now, I've shared with you at great length over the past several months about Jesus during his earthly ministry, particularly his mission to save souls who were lost. His work was a supernatural work. He set people free from demons. He healed the sick. 
He transformed and changed people's lives. And in order for you and I to continue Christ's ministry as we have been commissioned to do, we have to be filled with the Holy Spirit in order to do the supernatural in a natural realm. Filled with the Holy Spirit. The empowering of the Holy Spirit, friends, is necessary for the life of believers. And every believer, you might want to hold on, you might want to challenge me on this, but I'm going to prove it to you. Every believer is commanded to be filled with the Spirit. Every believer. Ephesians 5.18, it's right there. He says, don't, Paul says, don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless actions, but be filled with the Spirit. It does not say, don't get drunk with wine, and if you're so inclined, try the Holy Spirit. That's not what it says. It says, be filled with the Spirit. It's not an option for believers. It's a command. We have a responsibility to be filled and controlled by the Spirit of God, and that verse implies to us that being filled with God's Spirit is an ongoing act. Now, if you were to take a glass of water and to fill it to the very brim, have any of you ever done this? You take a glass of water and you fill it with water and you look at it like this and you can see water sticking over the brim of the glass, right? But then you take that same glass of water that's completely full, one more drop is going to cause it to run over. You take it outside and you expose it to the elements of the world. Two weeks later, you come back to the same glass of water, what are you going to find? that the water has evaporated and that in order for the cup to be filled once again, you have to add more water to it. The same is true with being filled with the Spirit. When our lives are constantly exposed to the things of this world, it will begin to evaporate the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives unless we purpose to remain filled day by day by day. Um, yeah, I'm going to go here. I used to believe that being filled with the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, was not a necessary part of the life of a believer. I used to equate being filled with the Spirit as being like traveling first class as opposed to those who aren't filled with the Spirit being content with coach. You can still get to the destination, but you don't have as good accommodations on the way there. Now, I used to, that's the way I used to believe. But the longer I live, and the more evil and the more deceptive our world gets, the more I have come to understand and now fully believe that it is a necessity for believers to be filled with the Holy Spirit continually. I need it. Let me tell you what, friends. I'm not going to speak for any of the rest of you, but I can tell you this about my life. It's not hard for the devil to get me off track. It's not. <laughs> you, you know me, I'm the transparent kind, right? 
I'm the kind that believes that ministry would be great if it wasn't for people. And if in the course of ministry, some of God's choice people just begin to grind on me, it's easy forget, for me to forget that I'm in the business of ministry to those people rather than being reactive to those people. Do you still love me after that? Just being honest. It's easy for the devil to get me off track. So I have to have, I have to be responsible to be filled with and empowered by the Spirit of God. And in those times when we are called upon to minister the good news or the gospel of Jesus to other people, we not only need God's grace, friends, we need the empowering filling of God's Spirit in order for our witness to be effective. I don't know how many of you have been, ever been around this, but I've been around some people trying to do their best to win people to the Lord that were actually driving people further away from the Lord than drawing them to the Lord. When I was in Bible college in Springfield, Missouri, there was a number of students who were very zealous to do something significant for God. And so what they would do, I don't even remember whether, I don't know what they call them in, in Springfield, but it was a grocery store. I don't know whether it was Albertsons or, it doesn't matter. But in their zeal to do something significant for God, they would go down and they would park themselves at the entrance to the store where everybody who went into the store had to go by them. And they would ask those people, do you speak in other tongues? Those people would look at them like, what's wrong with you? And not only those people, but I would look at them and say, what's wrong with you? That's not the way you share Jesus with someone. Now, that's not to say that that's not a real experience. It is, and I'm thankful for it. But that's not the way you share the good news of Jesus with people. It pushes them away more than it attracts them. So we have to be led by the Spirit of God in order to be effective. Oh, I feel better having gotten that out. Being filled with the Spirit of God needs to be a regular exercise in our lives. So that we can minister whenever we encounter a need in someone else's life. He will enable us to say the right words. To point them in the right direction. To use our counsel, whatever it is, to meet our need. The filling of the Spirit, friends, should not be an occasional experience that's limited to altar calls. If we're not being filled with God's Spirit day by day, moment by moment. We are minimizing the command that God gave us to be filled with the Spirit. Now being continually filled, I believe, is now a fundamental part of the life of every believer. This means that we should always be ready for an extra measure of the Holy Spirit's infilling. Now, there's going to be times, perhaps a challenging situation at work, a relational situation, a ministry situation, where we need to be filled in an extraordinary way so that God can do what only God can do. The evidence of that, go with me to the book of Acts real quickly. Acts chapter number four. <laughs> I love this. Man, I got 10 minutes left, I can preach. Acts chapter number four, verses eight through 12. Read with me. 
Then Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit and said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today about a good deed done to a disabled man by what means he was healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, whom you crucified and whom God raised from the dead, by him this man standing, he is standing here before you healthy. This Jesus The stone despised by you builders who has become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. The Holy Spirit had given to Peter and John special powers to heal a man that had been sitting at the gate of the temple for years. They didn't have silver and gold to contribute to his needs, his physical needs. They said, such as we have, we give to you in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And the man got up and started walking and leaping and praising God. And the church, the church said, what authority do you have to do this? And Peter said, I'll tell you what the authority is. The same Jesus that you crucified and whom God raised from the dead. We did it in his authority. And then in response to that, the the church, the religious ruling body told him, don't you ever talk in the name of Jesus again. And you go to verse number 29 of that same chapter and read this. Now, Lord, they're praying. He said, Lord, consider their threats and grant that your slaves may speak your message with complete boldness while you stretch out your hand for healing signs and wonders to be performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus and when they had prayed the place where they were assembled was shaken and they are all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak God's message with boldness that's why you need it that's why we need it the believers asked God to continue performing supernatural works in order to defend the apostles' proclamation of the gospel. I'm closing. There are also times when we need the infilling of God's Spirit for personal encouragement and refreshment. I, as well as many of you, have had experiences in my life when I've really needed a special touch from God. Times when I just needed a manifestation of God's grace and God's strength in ways that I'd never experienced before. And in those times, I would ask God's Spirit to work in me. And then something inside, something inside would just seem to change. Felt different. Can't describe the feeling, but I knew that it was an infilling of the empowerment of the Holy Spirit of God. Now, I grew up Pentecostal, so I know what you're thinking. Does this mean being filled with the Spirit that I'm going to ask you to do spiritual calisthenics and jump over chairs, swing from chandeliers if we had any? Absolutely not. If that's what the Spirit of God tells you to do, go ahead. But it better be Spirit-led. What I'm telling you, friends, is don't seek out the manifestations of God's power for the sake of being able to say, I've got it! To be sure, God wants to manifest His power 
into our lives. But the way that you do that is to seek Jesus, not a manifestation. Don't seek a gift. Seek Jesus. The giver will take care of giving the gift, whatever that looks like. Manifestations are moving in the gifts of God's Spirit. Hey, let me tell you what. Growing up Pentecostal, I've seen it happen. Those things can become idols in our lives. They can. That's all I'm going to say about it. Those things can become idols in our lives if we don't seek and worship God in spirit and truth. And if we truly seek God, we will experience His power. His Holy Spirit will give us deeper intimacy with Him. We will be flooded by love, by joy, by peace, by gentleness, by goodness, by kindness, by meekness, by temperance, and by self-control. Did I cover all nine of them? The fruits of the Spirit. Hey, friends, let me tell you something. God's much more concerned that your life manifests the fruits of His Spirit than He is to manifest the gifts of, your, of His Spirit. The, gifts of, the fruits of His Spirit will draw men and women, boys and girls, to Jesus. That's where He wants us to live. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand that to mean that we don't have expectations. We need to expect to experience God's presence in his spirit in various and profound ways but friends God works in all sorts of ways and I for one am not going to put any limit on how God might want to work and I would encourage you to do the same we need to be open to however it is that God wants to work (laughs) wow I was just thinking years ago when Brenda and I were youth pastors I remember a time sitting around the altars after the youth service, and we had young people seeking to be filled with the Spirit of God. I will never forget this as long as I live. We're sitting around the altars. We're just waiting on God. And all of a sudden, one of our young people starts singing a song in another language, a language that she did not know. It was the Spirit of God. Now, does that mean that 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 particular act is necessary for all of us? No. That's how God chose to manifest himself in her life. This person didn't even know that language, but God's spirit came on that person so powerfully that this person's life was radically transformed by the experience of what we now know as speaking in tongues. Yeah, that's one of the gifts. But that's also one of the gifts that can become an idol in people's lives. And it can become a source of spiritual pride. You know, I know what I mean. You want me to get specific? Thanks, I will. What I mean is, I've grown up in a church where some who had that gift thought that they were spiritually superior to those who didn't have that gift. Let me tell you what, that's nothing but religious stinking pride. And God names religious stinking pride as one of the seven things that he hates. As a matter of fact, he lists it first. There. Well, we've heard many stories about the infilling of the Spirit of God. We need to expect that God wants to work in powerful ways. He wants to move in his power. As I was preparing this a couple of weeks ago, I was just kind of overwhelmed by this thought. What if we all made this our prayer? 
God, I don't care what other people think. All I want is you. What if we all made that our prayer? God, I want you to fill me up in a fresh and new way. Colossians 2 says, Just as you have received Christ the Lord, walk in Him. <laughs> That's how we received Christ at the moment of salvation, wasn't it? God, I don't care what people think. All I want is you. That's all I want. So the now what? Ask God to fill you with His Spirit. And as the Lord reveals things in your life that need to change, I've narrowed it down to four R's. Four R's. Repent. Resist the devil. Replace your former way of life with God's way. And receive the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Musicians, would you come please? Repent. Repent, resist, replace, and receive. That is the now what. Holy Spirit of God, you're in this place this morning. Lord, we're not here. We're not here to show anyone how spiritual we think we are but we are here to experience you in authentic power overwhelming presence and guiding direction for our lives Lord I love it when Christian people are are excited, full of zeal, full of enthusiasm, anxious to share what you've done in their life with someone else. But Lord, I want all of that when it happens to any of our people to be God-breathed God-directed and made effective by the power of the Holy Spirit. Because God, I have learned over a lot of years that you, were ne you will never call us to go anywhere that you have not already prepared the field where we are going to receive the ministry that you have called us to. So God, when we talk about what happens after crucifixion, after you're risen from the dead. The now what is wait until you have been endued with power from on high. So Lord, we wait in your presence. Not just today, not just 
in an altar call that concludes this message this morning, concludes this service. But we wait every day in your presence to be endued with power, to be effective. Heads bowed, eyes closed. As I mentioned earlier, there's a lot of there's a lot of superstition, a lot of stuff that people have in mind when we talk about being filled with the Holy Spirit. And unfortunately, that's come about because we didn't, we didn't use a whole lot of wisdom when we asked to be filled with your Spirit. We wanted it for, like Simon did in Acts chapter number 9, to use for our own personal gain. And it caused us to do things that have left this eerie, scary, uneasy feeling about what it means to be filled with the Spirit. Friends, I'm here to tell you this morning, you don't see that in the Word of God. You don't see it there. Yes, God used different ways and different means to fill His people with the Spirit, and He did that so that unbelievers would know that something supernatural was going on. But friends, I'm telling you this morning, it's so important that you be filled with the Spirit so that you can walk in the Spirit day by day. You're here this morning and you know. You know just gauging, having the ability to gauge God's power in your own life, whether or not you are filled with and walking full of the Spirit of God. And if not, and you want to be, I want you to just raise your hand solely for the purpose of allowing me to pray for you this coming week and in the days and weeks ahead. You want to be filled with God's Spirit, raise your hand this morning. I'm going to be praying for you. I see those hands all over this room. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I pray for each hand that was raised, 10 or 12. Thank you, Jesus. Now, Lord, do what only you can do as we yield ourselves to you to work through in Jesus' name.